0: Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them, and we need all the power from the scriptures we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have my friend and colleague with us today, Jennifer Platt-Rinkerhoff, who uh, I've known for, I don't know, like maybe 10 years now, something like that. Um, Yeah. She used to teach here for us at BYU and uh, is a fantastic teacher. I have to uh, share this story. Uh, I can remember one day my wife uh, came to me. I think she sat in on some of your classes and some of your Education Week stuff, and, and she said, Jennifer is the best teacher you have in your department. And I said, uh-huh. you know, I'm in my department, don't you? And she said, yeah, I-, I know. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how this goes. But anyway, uh, I-, I felt the same way. I sat in on a number of classes, She's pre- just a gifted teacher, a wonderful person, uh, I, I'll I'll let her explain why I would say this. I think she's the only faculty member, uh, a, a religious educator that I know who was always talking about coffee all the time. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll let her tell us why maybe she would talk about coffee so often. But anyway, welcome Jennifer. Would you tell yeah. us a little about yourself?
1: It's good to be with you. Yeah, when I first came to interview at BYU, it was um, 2011 when I finished my doctoral studies at, at Arizona State University. And I had spent my time studying the Ethiopian coffee ceremony. And I don't remember who it was that asked, what do you have to bring to BYU? And I said, coffee. (laughs) <laughs> and um, it kind of became the joke, didn't it? That here
0: yeah, I am yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> At BYU, but you do get Diet Coke now with caffeine in it, and so there's that, oh. right?
0: Oh, there's uh, since that happened, there is more caffeine running around on this campus than <laughs> any other kind of liquid, and I think more caffeine running around in members of the church than any other kind of liquid. I, it just like opened a caffeine floodgate, and we are all super caffeine. Well, I don't like. I I, I served my mission in a very hot place, and I lost the ability to drink carbonation so i'm mm. not caffeinated because i'm not carbonated but uh uh I, almost everyone else i know is super caffeinated so That's
1: fantastic. yeah, yeah <laughs> that was um so that was what i brought but what what happened for me in that study is it really opened my eyes to women in ritual context mm. and it's still a passion of mine to this day that i'm paying attention you know I, in fact i i did write a little bit in a project that dan belknap did about yeah. our rites of worship right and yeah.
0: great book and,
1: it really, he did such a great job pulling that together. And, and my, my, um, transition from Buna and the ritual of coffee for Ethiopian women became relief society and Mm. started asking some questions. And I'm still like every day asking questions about relief society and how do we help women to really lean into and own the greatness that Joseph unlocked for us. And, um,
0: And draw from that. Right.
1: Right. Right. And that we need women need women and they need that context and they need the ritual to help socialize their children. And that was a lot of what I did with the Buna. But I continue to this day, you know, asking questions. How do we how do we take tradition or even leave tradition to be all into the work of salvation and exaltation? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's kind of where it's taken me. And I I'm immersed. I'm immersed in that research. So it's not so much coffee anymore at BYU Idaho, I guess, but we also don't have Diet Coke. Um,
0: uh, so, well, that, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at BYU Idaho now. I guess we should have said that. Yeah. Where there's no coffee or Coke. So, uh, <laughs>
1: coffee or Coke, but we could use or overalls. It, yeah. It's true. Or flip flops. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we came up to BYU Idaho. I'm just starting my fifth year here. And um, I love just being immersed in teaching. Um, then the research and writing is kind of just a side project that I do because I like doing it. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, just for is, fun.
1: This has been really fun. It's been a good fun move for us to be here. And I love teaching. Um, and I love being in the
0: community too. So. Uh, good. Well, good. Well, we're, we're glad to have you on with us. And I, uh, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about Obadiah. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And I actually hope maybe you'll jump in with your, you're the Old Testament scholar, right? And, and the different things that way. But Obadiah, one, I like when they're little like this because it's intriguing to me. What, what is it about this 21 verses that was canonized?
0: Um, The smallest book in the Old Testament, right? So that's, that's pretty small.
1: That's pretty small. Right. And we don't know much about Obadiah. I mean, really nothing, right? That he, in fact, I was reading a tradition the other day. Have you ever read this that suggests that he might have been a descendant of Esau? It's, um, have you seen that tradition?
0: Yeah, a lot of people think, I think the Talmud felt, the Talmudic scholars felt that he was, um, and and since he's prophesying to Edom, they feel like, okay, well, he was a a convert to Judaism, and there were a number of of Edomite converts to Judaism Mm -hmm. that Uh, that that's who they drew on to prophesy to Edom. That makes some sense. But in the end, we don't know a single thing about him. He didn't, he didn't, a lot of, uh, a lot of prophets have in that first verse, something that tells you like who their father is and and all sorts of stuff. He doesn't tell us a blessed thing.
1: No, He doesn't, he doesn't reveal anything, but I do think he shows us his heart. And and I've been intrigued with this idea. I know it's just tradition, Um, but let's say that he was from Esau that could there then be this um this part of his nature or character that cares deeply about reuniting families mm. um and and that I think for me I liked this idea of saying here he's prophesying to Edom and saying you need to repent here's what's going to happen to you if you don't um the destruction that awaits you but that he cares deeply about reuniting God's family or even his yeah. own right
0: I- I, I very, very much agree. And I, I would say you can read that in it, whether he's from Judah or, or Edom, he, he wants those two cousins, as it were, to reconcile. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a major part of his message is to let's, let's get these groups to reconcile and, and be together. So I, I think you're 100% right.
1: Well, and he's consistent that if we've just finished up Amos, who is talking again about well. The prophets from here on out that we're studying it's about repentance right yeah. it's about reclaiming your your place in the house of israel repenting and being all in but i can't help but think you know president nelson and yeah. the same clear message um will you please repent will you please prioritize your lives get really engaged in the work of salvation and exaltation um I think a lot about that, Carrie. I know you do too. And
0: end conflict, right? That's another right. thing. And and this conflict that any conflict you have in your life.
1: You could really trace that April talk with this book of Obadiah, couldn't you? Now that you're I saying agree. it that way. Yeah. Huh. That's really cool. Well, here's what catches my attention with Obadiah, and it's probably what we're all familiar with, but this invitation, let's look at verse 17 and jump in whenever you want, okay?
0: All right. Actually, Um, maybe before uh, you do that, maybe let's just uh, give just a teeny bit more background on what what little background we have. Um okay. so we don't know what time period he's from. Some people his his name means servant of, of Jehovah, which if he's an Edomite, that's particularly interesting. And my if he's really a, a a convert to Judaism, then that's probably not the name his parents gave him. He probably takes that name on, but who knows? There that's are some Obadiah is
1: it for a prophet to have an, a different name given to him, right? Abram
0: yeah, it, Abraham. Yeah. Yeah we 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 know of a couple times when it happens. And then there are several times where it seems like it probably happened, but we don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Excuse the interruption.
0: Oh, no, no, no. This is a conversation. That's how this is how it should go. Um, But uh, I mean, I interrupted you to be able to start talking about this. But (laughs) anyway, um, (laughs) yeah, the. uh, There are several Obadiahs in scriptures, like there's one that uh, helps Elijah when uh, he's having some friction with King Ahab. Some people think that uh, he's from that time period and he's maybe even that Obadiah. Maybe, I kind of don't think so. The evidence in here makes it clear it's after a, a time when Edom had been trying to have some conflict and take over areas of Judah and even Jerusalem. And the Edomites do that a couple of times. Probably the biggest one is when they seem to work with um, Babylon when Jerusalem is overthrown. And uh, so as I read this, I really don't know, but I kind of, it feels like it's that time period to me. It could be several others, but that would be my best guess that this is um, say post Jeremiah um, post-Ezekiel and, and Daniel, somewhere in there, maybe be, uh, maybe before um, uh, Nehemiah, maybe at the same time, somewhere around there would be my guess, but it could be in the time of Ahab. It could be anywhere in like this 300-year span. So anyway, that's, that's about all the background we have on it.
1: Right. Well, and that even in his narrative, is it about verse 10 that he's describing the way they've turned their backs? Yeah. Um, that this idea that at 12 kind of just hurts my heart so much that thou should, shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. You yeah. know, they're just turning their back and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress.
0: Yeah. Distress
1: And over and over, he's going to say, shouldest not. Um yep. You look how naughty you are and and that you turned your back that you weren't you weren't even interested in helping other people in their yeah. in their circumstances
0: and and this is interesting because if and again, it's those those verses are part of what makes me think this is after. Uh, Babylon's coming and destroyed yeah. Jerusalem because when it says they've become a stranger, that means they're now living somewhere that's not their native home, and and that sounds like in the exile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that part of why Edom was helping Babylon is because Edom wanted the lands of Judah for themselves, and so often it is that selfishness and that yeah. self-centeredness that makes it so that we're not helping our brother, uh, and and we're looking for our own gain rather than thinking of them, and and so I sense. That And I love how you, you cast this. I can tell you teach the family class quite a bit because uh, you, you see that, that family element in here. And I think you cast it so perfectly. This is about nations, but it's about family as well. And yeah. we should take it on both levels. That, that, that as a nation, we should not be turning our backs on other nations. But as people, we shouldn't be turning our backs on other people. And as family, we shouldn't be turning our backs on other family. And most of the time when we do, it's because we're looking for something for ourselves
1: yeah yeah you know you got me thinking because you know each of us are in positions of responsibility in our congregations in our ward and stake and I think a lot about ministering mm. and and that how how do we help each other to really capture what we're what we have before us as an opportunity um and really, I think it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable because we may not know someone
0: wow.
1: um but but even the fact that we call each other brother and sister should just change the narrative. And I maybe we've grown too accustomed to it. Like when President Nelson talked to the um, young adults in May and talked to them about being a child of God and that you're so used to hearing you're a child of God. So do we forget I'm so used to hearing sister or brother that mm. I forget what it is that I'm really saying? And that I don't want to turn my back on you, and I don't want to I mean, I had a situation the other day where I saw something just in the parking lot at church, and I thought it would be really easy to walk away from that. and And the spirit kept working at me to say, "Just follow up and make sure everything's okay." and 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 it wasn't. Mm. And um, I think it, it would have been easy to turn my back on the violence um, mm. or the aggression. Um, we've got a work to do. How are you helping people? What are you figuring out that's helping people to engage more in really taking care of? Like this idea, I don't know that we're to the extreme that we're celebrating each other's destruction.
0: <laughs> Let's hope not.
1: No, right? But what's working for you? What are you learning that that might engage people a little bit better in in caring a little bit more?
0: Uh, you know, I, I think... I don't know that I'm particularly good at this, but for me, it is uh, similar to what President Nelson talked about. And this has become, uh, you know, as I work with, I have children who r- range in age from 25 to 15, and I work with youth in my ward and with college age uh, students in my profession, right? So I've pretty much sp- spent my whole life thinking about young adults and youth, Um and it has become a passion of mine uh, to to help them see themselves in light of their true identity. That same kind of thing President Nelson, which I actually, interestingly, felt inspired to start talking to my students or my youth about and my students about um, just before he gave that uh, that devotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I know other people had the same thing. I think that the Lord is working on a bunch of us for this. So it was in like probably February I started thinking along those lines. But um, Uh. I feel like when we have that identity foremost as a child of God, then it's easy for us to start thinking of other people as a child of God. And when we have that covenant identity, and part of that covenant is that we help other people, those two things together really can help focus us on helping other people. But the enemy of it is thinking what is in it for myself, right? So that's we have to kind of get rid of the, the wrong thing, uh, partially in order to focus on the right thing, but also partially by focusing on the right thing, we get rid of the wrong thing. So it's a, a cyclical thing.
1: Yeah. I like How about for saying? you, uh, similar, right. That when we work on, when we work on identity and, and, um, for me, it's just, am I, so I ask this question all the time. Are we doing this when we're doing this? Is it contributing to someone's salvation and exaltation? And that sounds really big, right? <laughs> you're going, gosh, That's really grand that when you're trying to plan something and think in those terms. But if I can't measure it in that way, if I don't see it, then I think it's not essential. Mm, um, that's and good. So, and so it's a bit of a rubric of being able to say, where is it going? And I'm trying to ask those questions. Like for this chapter in particular, when Obadiah says, come and be a savior on Mount Zion. Sometimes I think that we read, that's verse 21. Um, come up to the Mount of Zion to judge the Mount of Esau and the kingdom. Let's see this. And savior shall come up on Mount Zion. That's the phrase yeah. I wanted to get to. And for a long time, Carrie, I would read that savior, the little as savior. And I was a little uncomfortable with it, in thinking, mm, I, I don't know that I want that title or I, mm. I should call myself that. But the more I learn about what it means to be a covenant woman, and to belong to the kingdom of God on earth, the more I realize that partnership is essential
0: yeah.
1: and, and that I am in the work of saving souls. Um, and so I, I'm kind of intrigued. You don't have to tell me what you think of this, but I keep thinking, how do we strip everything down to say, okay, I'm engaged in the work of salvation and of exaltation, and am I living the gospel? Am I redeeming the dead? I'm saying it old school. You might have to help me go back to the handbook. Um, But the missionary work and taking care of the poor and the needy. And if not, if I can't have it fit there, am I sure I'm wanting to be doing it.
0: That's, that's really, really good and really powerful. In fact, um, it's something that I started kind of figuring out as I would deal with it, you know, in, in uh, book, we used to have these Book of Mormon classes that were just for return missionaries. And usually you had, everyone in there had been home for their mission for like two months at the beginning of the semester or something. And so you had a lot of people who were struggling with, okay, how do I, I, I was on such a spiritual high on my mission. Now I don't know how to find my, my footing. I don't know how to handle my life. And I started telling them, uh, and I mean it for everyone, not just for them. Uh, If you can't figure out how what you're doing is serving God, then probably you ought to not do it. Now, does that mean you can't have fun? No, No. like we should be having wholesome recreational activities right now. There's a fine line between wholesome recreational activities and doing what uh, uh, President Kimball called the the false god of uh, entertainment. Right. Right. Um, So but but we should be. Doing things that that help us become a whole person and that unwind, like Joseph Smith talked about, the need to unstring the bow and and, uh, or sharpen the saw or however you want to say this, right? But it should still be aimed at somehow this is going to help me to be the kind of person that can serve God best. And if it's something that takes you away from God, you've got a problem. Same thing with your grades or your job or whatever it is you should have somewhere in your mind consciously know how this contributes to serving God. And it's perfect to talk about this with Obadiah, the servant of Jehovah, right? Um, to, to If you don't know that, then you're going to end up straying. And if you do know that, you find that really just about everything you do can and should serve God, but it changes the way you feel about it and the way you do it, and thus what uh, you become as a result. Yeah.
1: Is this expressing my love of God and in turn helping me love my fellow beings. If not, oh, that's good. And you can't you can't invert that. You know, and I think you and I both see a lot of that inversion of saying, oh, I love everybody. And God's kind of secondary.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so then it becomes kind of a societal or even a cultural kind of expression of love. But the doctrine of love, didn't you love the way Elder McConkey in the last conference, the Saturday session, talked about Mark II? And this idea of the man with the palsy, and that oh, we yes, want to yes. get them to the Savior, right?
0: James W. McConkie, the third.
1: James, thank you. And I think I see Obadiah, Obadiah doing this—that he's he's really calling him out, and then he's pointing us to what matters most, and that's saving in the temple. You know? And um, and that to me—that's Obadiah, and that's that's why. I love him. It's just this quick, simple message, but it's so crystal clear. And I want to ask you one more thing as we're Mm -hmm. thinking about this. This is from President Nelson. And I actually liked the way the church news put this together, but it's from the October conference where he says, President Nelson says, it is significant that the Savior chose to appear to the people at the temple, emphasizing that the temple is his house and filled with his power. Let us never lose sight of what the Lord is doing for us now. He's making his temples more accessible. He is accelerating the pace at which we are building temples. He is increasing our ability to help gather Israel. He is also making it easier for each of us to become spiritually refined. And then he reiterated this. He said, I promise that increased time in the temple will bless your life in ways nothing else can. And then may you focus on the temple in ways you never have before. And I just, what does that mean for me? You know, Uh, how, how am I going to adjust? And I'm really in a, in a mind space right now of saying, I want to figure this out. How, how does the temple mean something to me? Like never before I, I started teaching a couple of years ago. I started teaching an introduction to family history mm. and Part of it was selfish because I thought if I'm teaching it, I'm going to be doing it a little bit more and I can make that sacrifice of time professionally and then I'm doing it. Carrie, I have witnessed miracles.
0: Mm.
1: We we punch through the veil and that that classroom that we gather in is become the sacred space. And we often talk about, you know, that I'll say I feel to acknowledge those that are with us that are unseen. And the miracles that we've witnessed, you know, Sister Nelson at a BYU women's conference a few years ago promised the sisters if you would make a sacrifice of time, you'd have these miracles. She said it in lots of situations, but I always like to share that bit of this clip. And and I had a student one day say, I've been working on tapering uh, my, my anxiety medication. It's not boding well in my body and I need to change it. And she says, I felt impressed that maybe I could use family history work. And at the end of the semester, that was in confidence between me at the end of the semester. She says, I'd like to share with all of you what the Lord's done with me as I've given more time to saving on Mount Zion. Um, and so I guess that's what I would say. I would say to everyone who listens to us today that we can engage in the work of salvation and exaltation in very direct and straightforward ways. It doesn't have to be a production. It doesn't have to be an assignment. It has to be a willing heart that's entered into covenants who just wants to help, and that's Obadiah for me.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and uh, as, as you were talking about that, it, it reminded me of something that maybe we can tie into something you said even earlier. You know, I love how you are bring this out in, in temple work that the, the phrase "Saviors on Mount Zion" that is taken here from from uh obadiah but the the way that's been used most often in church literature and and earliest and most commonly is in what they used to call um the the genealogical society genealogical right. work that now we call it temple work with the same idea right it, it's it, this focus on doing work for the dead and i think that's an absolute fulfillment of it yes. um but i i want to tie that in with something that President Nelson said, like in the very first public thing he did, which was with the youth, that ties in with something you said earlier, where he said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's pretty close, where he said, anytime you do anything for anybody on either side of the veil that helps them come to Christ or make covenants, you're gathering Israel. And so when you said earlier, um, how am I doing things that, that help people receive exaltation. That's exactly what I thought of. Well, anytime you do anything for anyone on either side of the veil, you're helping them receive exaltation. So that's temple work. Um, That's, uh, you you see someone across the street that uh, dropped all their books, um, or like you in the parking lot uh, after church, uh, or you minister to someone, uh, whatever it is, these are all ways of being a savior on Mount Zion, uh, all ways of, of gathering Israel, uh, and helping people receive exaltation. Uh, I think the temple is particularly important in that. And I, I love your focus on that. And, uh, I know I, I was writing, I, have I pulled out my phone, uh, while president Nelson was talking and I just wrote on my to-do list, schedule more time in the temple. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and I hope that we're all feeling that, um, But uh, I love the example of your student as well. And I hope that that more of us will take that up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and there's such little things like the the app, the Family Tree app, makes it so Mm -hmm. easy to take our own names for most of us. Yeah. I started doing Carrie, my little girl's eight. And so whenever I print a name, I ask her to cut it out for me. And I'll say, will you prepare this for me to take to the temple? love to mom and and she'll cut it out and then i'll say now will you go look her up and tell me tell me who she is and what you know about her and so i'm just trying to engage her in a mindset that as she perfect as she's eight and progressing on the covenant path and she sees mom going that i don't want her to ever go my mom was always gone at the temple but rather, I'm so, in fact, she asked me once, because I wish you'd go more often because I like who you are when you come home. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just, I, I Obadiah, it has such a sweet way of getting us curious and saying, I have so many questions for you and who you are. But this idea of saying, are you really engaged in, in taking care of each other? And here's what you can do and that we can get busy doing it.
0: Good. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. You're going to have to forget about yourself a bit. Yeah. If you lose yourself, that's when you'll find yourself, but forget about yourself a bit and remember your brothers. Yes. Right. Heal these, these relations, whether that be your own nuclear family or all of our different family relations that we have as, as uh, covenant brothers and sisters. Uh, So. Yeah. And that God does
1: that with all of his children Esau, Jacob, you, me. I mean, it's, it's his. It's his work and his glory, and it's fun to be a part of it.
0: Uh, amen. That's amen. that's probably the perfect ending. Eh? Amen to that. Well, thank you so much. That's just uh, it's always fun to talk about the scriptures, and especially with you. So, thank you for that, Jennifer. And and I hope uh, that our audience feels as uplifted and edified and and motivated as I do. And uh, that uh, if you know someone who you might want to share this with and cut out temple cards together and go together or whatever else, then then they'll do that as well. So awesome. thanks, Jennifer. You bet. And, good, to and be to, you. Uh, good to be with you. And to our audience, we hope you have a great day.